You are listening to CEO Perspectives, a podcast by the Conference Board. Welcome to this episode of CEO Perspectives, a signature series by the Conference Board. CEO Perspectives are conversations that take an objective, nonpartisan look at a range of timely topics that matter most to business leaders. To help make sense of these topics and how they'll unfold, we'll sit down with thought leaders and do what we do best at the Conference Board, provide trusted insights for what's ahead. I'm Steve Odlin from the Conference Board and the host of this series. And in today's conversation, we're going to discuss the highlights and the takeaways from the World Economic Forum's annual meeting in Davos. Joining me today is Dr. Lori Esposito-Murray, the president of the Committee for Economic Development, which is the public policy center of the conference board. And she is joining us from Davos. Lori, welcome. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for having me. Really looking forward to the conversation. So, Lori, how's the skiing? (laughs) Didn't make it to the mountains, Steve. And that's actually one of the major uh, issues that's happening uh, that's really important for Europe. It's a warm warm winter, and that's getting them through the energy crisis. And there's no snow, and it's, uh, it's unusual for the group. Right, right. There have been some flurries, and uh, but you know, in terms of actual skiing, uh, not much happening. Yeah. Well, the topic of this year's uh, meeting is uh, cooperation in a fragmented world. Um, wow, what a great topic. Uh, so, what is the mood there? Is there pessimism about the war in Ukraine? Is there pessimism about you know an impending recession and the global economy? And you know, what? Where is the hope? So it's interesting, Steve. I would say the mood is mixed. And uh, on, on the economy, it's actually more uplifting than I was expecting. Uh, Europe is, is doing much better than they had expected. As a matter of fact, uh, they're saying, the Europeans are saying that they are actually going to have growth this year and expect to slow down in the first quarter. Uh, but uh, in fact, it's much uh, better than they had anticipated. And they're not calling it a recession. Uh, They're calling it, I think, a mild contraction in the first part of the year, but expect to have growth by the end of the year. So so that's really interesting on the economy. Uh, And in terms of the war, that's where I think it is uh, beginning to be widely recognized that this war isn't ending anytime soon. And, uh, you know, that, I think, is having a major impact on uh, how to look at resilience uh, in terms of uh, uh, Europe, the economy, the the refugee and immigration crisis that they're going through, the worst uh, since World War II, um, the impact on both societies and cultures uh, in Europe. It's it's uh, and of course we had President Zelensky talking to us as well as uh, Madame Zelenska, who came in person, and President Zelensky was uh, via uh, was virtual um, and. Uh, they were hit pretty hard by the loss of the uh, Minister of Interior who had just passed away in that helicopter crash. Yeah, and that's still, uh, they're still not sure what happened in that crash. But, th- you know, this is a place where, you know, this this meeting happens once a year. You get world leaders, you know, so you get the political side of it and business leaders coming together, trying to talk about, you know, the key issues of the world. So this is a pretty important meeting. And, you know, and, and this year is no different. Lots of uh, lots of different things going on. You know, in past years, I know Russia and China have played prominent roles here. You just mentioned, you know, that uh, President Zelensky uh, uh, was was there. What about President Putin? 
So the Russians are out of Davos. It is a major, I think, historic turning point. It's pretty finalized, at least while this war goes on. And, you know, the message from the Ukrainians across the board, there was there were a couple of ministers who were also here, were, uh, you know, it was basically that the West, the U.S., NATO need to act now. Uh, no longer hesitate or or delay on weapon systems. They need help now. And it was interesting because President Zelensky was asked, what should be Russia's role in Europe? And he had no, uh, he said he could not think of an answer on that. You know, he could not imagine what Russia's role could be given what's going on in Ukraine. So the Russians are really on the outs. Uh, they are launched this aggressive war, uh, unprovoked, and it's anticipated that it's going to last a while. There's no insights or, or uh, bright moments that anyone can imagine happening that would, that would move this to the negotiating table. It's all really happening on the battlefield right now. Yeah, but, you know, but the Russians are positioning themselves as the victims here, which is a, which is a fascinating positioning. But it, this is an important, uh, you know, the optics here, as well as the reality, is that uh, the rest of the world has excluded Russia. And, you know, can we call them a pariah state then? You know, if they're completely excluded from these conversations, which I think this is the first time, right? So so they're they're not being viewed as the victims by everybody else. No, exactly. And it's they're given the size of Russia, given the size of their economy, uh, it is this is a historic moment when you have a country that is that large, that is a major energy producer, that's that has the eleventh uh, size economy, basically in the same position as Iran and North Korea in the global community. And uh, for for the most part, at least uh, as far as the West, the U.S., its allies and its partners, uh, of course, Putin still has uh, very important relationships with China, Xi Jinping and Modi in India. Uh, but, uh, you know, to the fra- getting to the fractured world. Uh, but as far as Russia's role, it is uh, it, they are out right now. And it's it's not going to change until there is some resolution of uh, the um, tragedy in Ukraine. Yeah. So cooperating cooperation in a fragmented world. And now, you know, global unity was fragmented or and as you say fractured which is uh, an even more dramatic word before the war and and of course before you know everybody kind of picks sides on this thing there seem to be now divisions between economic blocks and so forth so what are you hearing in terms of how this resolves um you know whether there can be concerted action by everybody else you know you know, we, we've got the sanctions that, that went on almost a year ago, and then they were tightened in several times. Where's it going? Well, the two interesting stories of China and India uh, coming out of Davos, in my, in my opinion. So with China, the vice prime minister, uh, uh, premier was here, uh, Liu He, and he has met with uh, Secretary of Treasury Yellen. Uh, they committed to making sure that they could cooperate on global issues that were in our mutual interest uh, and, and would work to prevent uh, the relationship from ever turning into uh, a, a uh, full conflict. Secretary Yellen also announced that she's going to China. So on the part of the Biden administration and, uh, and the, U- the U.S., uh, it is clearly trying to work uh, as well as the interest from the Chinese on at least repairing the relationship or at least the dialogue. Uh, between the two countries. So that's that's really interesting on China. And I also think we're not going to get 
any closure, uh, uh, positive closure on what's happening in Ukraine without China and India involved. The India story at Davos is even more interesting. Uh, there are even some people saying that this is the Indian decade, that the big winner coming out of uh, these dual crises of, of the pandemic and what it's done to supply chains uh, and the rethinking uh, uh, in terms of uh, China's COVID, zero COVID policy to look for supply chains uh, and manufacturing elsewhere, uh, plus what's happening, obviously the impact of the war and, and um, uh, the reevaluation of our entire relationship with China. Uh, this India is coming out, uh, really the, the most excitement, the most positive assessment is, is really coming from the rest of Asia and particularly India. And uh, they are uh, really trying to leverage uh, taking advantage of the rest of the world's search for alternative markets and alternative manufacturing uh, to really push their economy forward. I just want to go back to Ukraine for, you know, for one more minute, if you don't mind. Um, you know, how are how are the Europeans coping with this situation? Because they have a lot of energy and food that have come from, you know, combined Russia and Ukraine. That it, and th those supply lines have been damaged um, and, and so forth. You know, how do they see this resolving? I mean, can we negotiate something here and get this over with? Is it going to linger? You know, how... How does it how how does it go from here? So the most important insight from the Europeans and the Europeans have suffered. They don't consider this a war in Ukraine. They consider this a war on Europe as well. They're not narrowing it to to Ukraine. They are suffering. They are suffering the high inflation. They are they they are suffering on energy. They they're popular working really hard to keep their population from um, having the most severe impacts from what's going on. The, the weaponization of energy on, on the part of uh, Russia and Putin is the impact really is in Europe. And so they are part of this war. That's how they see themselves. They actually, the Europeans actually have the strategic historic perspective that this is not just a war in Ukraine, that the impact is very, very large the global order is transforming, is in transformation. The question is, how do we, how are we going to come out of this, and how can we make sure that we come out of this? We, meaning the U.S., its allies, its partners, uh, and the U.S. U.S. and Europe, how do we come out of this uh, stronger with a with a better world order as opposed to a worse world order, which is where we are right now? And what's the answer to that? I mean, how, how does it end? What are you hearing? So what the, they actually recognize that this isn't ending anytime soon. And so what you have to do is, is really go through major transformations within your own economy in terms of where you're going to find uh, you know, your, your supply chains, where they're coming from, uh, that resilience that you need for your own economy. They're, they are completely focused on climate change and clean energy and completely converting uh, with a real strong commitment, their entire energy source. So they're not dependent on authoritarian governments that uh, are fossil fuel producers, uh, that they can actually become independent energy producers through uh, solar, wind, hydrogen, a lot of emphasis on hydrogen. So if you free yourself from the, econo the economic trap of being energy dependent, uh, that's a major transformation. And so both uh, the leaders of um, von Leyen, who is uh, the president of the EU, and uh, Chancellor Schultz of Germany, both talked about Ukraine and pivoted to their climate, their green uh, pro uh, energy programming as the way out of this trap of dependency. 
and, and where the future is going and becoming more self-sufficient in terms of clean energy sources coming out of the North Sea, uh, uh, as well as um, sharing energy resources among themselves with the U.S., and also um, conservation, that part of their success is because their populations are actually contributing to conservation on energy. Yeah, well, but you know, you, you also have the uh, the great show with Greta Thunberg being carried out uh, by the right. German police. So at the coal mine, you know, because they're reopening up uh, old energy sources that are that are, you know, in order to keep the lights on. Uh, well, the- that, you know, and and that's a really interesting point, Steve, because uh, you know, as you know. Uh, Part of um, CED's analysis on the how do you reach these climate goals by 2050 that we've committed to is that you have to recognize that fossil fuels are part of the uh, the, ans- the the energy source at, at least in the near term, if not in the midterm. And it's it's interesting that uh, that's pretty much recognized, I think, throughout Europe. Yeah, that's becoming clear. I mean, you can't just shut everything off before you have another source, and uh, and and they haven't, you know, with renewables, they they haven't figured out a way for storage to uh, deal deal with the episodic nature of renewables. So therefore, right, right. you need to replace fossil fuels with essentially with nuclear in order to get carbon free, in order to provide the baseload for all of the uh, the, the renewables. And, and you know, there there's more. T- I know that there's more talk there about nuclear than there has been in the past. Right. And, and also, uh, in terms of lessons learned, obviously, uh, Germany is the uh, case study in uh, how, how not to do the transition and has pretty much uh, laid out a strategic plan on uh, having learned those lessons on how to do the transition and how to do it smoothly, or how to at least work to do it smoothly. It's, it's going to be difficult. They recognize it's going to be difficult. They recognize it's going to be expensive. Uh, and, you know, obviously, it's really about uh, you know, research and development accelerating, uh, you know, research and development on these clean energies. There's optimism that we're going to actually get there in terms of technology uh, sooner than uh, had originally been anticipated on these new technologies, which is also uh, an interesting part of the discussions here. We're talking about Davos with Dr. Lori Esposito-Murray. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. As you and your company monitor the volatile and uncertain economy, the award-winning forecast team at the Conference Board predicts a downturn by the end of 2022. Recession will further compound the crises that have recently upended expectations, from a deadly pandemic to a war in Ukraine and the highest inflation in decades. Yet, unprecedented crises also present unforeseen opportunities if you have a trusted, proven navigator by your side. With that in mind, and as the conference board has always done, we are providing you with daily, timely, and relevant content that will guide the business community through the economic storm. These trusted insights are being gathered on our website and are available to help your company master the challenges. To find out how you can chart a course for the future which will allow your business to emerge stronger on the other side, visit our free economic hub entitled, Navigating the Economic Storm, Your Indispensable Guide Through the Global Recession located at conference-board.org slash topics slash recession. Welcome back to CEO Perspectives. I'm your host, Steve Odlin from the Conference Board, and I'm joined today by Dr. Lori Esposito-Murray, the president of the Committee for Economic Development, the Public Policy Center of the Conference Board, who is at Davos. Okay, so uh, Lori, let's go back to China for a moment. You, you, You mentioned the Chinese delegation and so forth. 
What are they saying? What are you hearing about China, Taiwan? Well, uh, first of all, the when the vice premier made his speech, he he was very optimistic about the Chinese economy uh, and very much selling to uh, the business audience that China is open for business and to invited everyone to come visit and and to come into China, which given their zero COVID policy and how they just flip that switch. That was his messaging that China is open for, for business. And, I wonder and, if he's, oh. did he, did he talk to President Xi before he made that speech? Do you think? <laughs> well, we'll find out in terms of whether he goes home or not. But um, <laughs> in any case, that, that was, but the Taiwan issue and Steve, this, I was, I wouldn't, I was actually, I, I will use the word surprise. I was surprised how it w- it's almost pervasive, the understanding of the linkage between what's happened in Ukraine and how that really puts the Taiwan problem at the top of the agenda uh, in terms of um, global problems or c- disruption that could happen. Uh, you know, there's, there's real recognition of that and real recognition to prevent that from happening, which is why the, uh, the um, uh, uh, Secretary Yellen's statement on uh, the Treasury Department statement on Secretary Yellen's meeting, you know, that quote that we will, we will work very hard to make sure that this relationship never turns to one of conflict. Uh, uh, that's not the exact wording, but, you know, not having it be one of conflict is, uh, you know, it's just another, uh, you know, just checkpoint of, of the recognition of the role that um, uh, Taiwan can play in terms of disruption and, and how it, probable it, you know, it, it deserves to be up high on the um, global challenges list. Yeah. And, but, you know, any sense of whether that's going to become a kinetic situation? Well, I think there's uh, recognition uh, that it is a volatile uh, situation uh, and a, a very serious problem, but also recognition that uh, we need to start opening those diplomatic channels uh, to um, be making sure that it doesn't flip that switch. Yeah. And then you got to turn to the U.S. delegation. Who's there for the U.S. and what are they saying? Well, this is the most interesting story of all <laughs> in, in any prior Davos that I had. As an American. <laughs> as, as an American, yes, as an American. Uh, any prior Davos I had attended, it was really the U.S. leadership in the world that was how the U.S. was discussed. discussed. What is so fascinating about this time is, and, and sh- should really be surprising to most Americans, is that the hottest, biggest issue is the Inflation Reduction Act, which is a piece of legislation that has actually come out of Congress. I don't think I've ever been at a Davos where uh, a U.S. congressional action has caused so much attention, you know, an actual law. Usually it's, you know, it's it's U.S. policy on the foreign policy front and and whatever. But now the focus is on the IRA. The Europeans are mad about the IRA. Uh, they see it as industrial policy. They're being cut out. We saw it actually foreshadowing this, obviously, when, when President Macron was visiting Washington. But it really is the issue. They were uh, There was a panel discussion where the Europeans were saying how shocked they were by the IRA. And, um, uh, you know, it's the America, the American- the IRA, IRA, IRA being the act. Yeah, the Inflation Reduction Act. 
Yeah. And, um, you know, it's that that the U.S. is being protectionist. They're cutting Europe out, you know, which has an irony in and of itself in terms of complaining about U.S. industrial policy. Uh, but in any case, um, uh, they're saying that uh, and part, so part of it is the American content piece of the bill, but also um, the fact that it had tax incentives, which means, as opposed to subsidies, because they're tax incentives, uh, it, the decisions and progress is going to be made, uh, you know, particularly the decisions in this area are going to be made much more quickly uh, because it, they immediately come into force in terms of companies making decisions, uh, whereas subsidies take longer in terms of how they roll out. And so the result has been that uh, while complaining about the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, they are recognizing that it is a major, major piece of legislation as far as climate action is concerned uh, and how the U.S. is going to approach it in terms of uh, its economy and that uh, they are going to have their own IRA. And um, uh, I'm I'm confused. Which portions of the act do the Europeans believe are, are protectionist? You know, what are they concerned about? Uh, they're, they're mostly concerned about the American content, you know, how you have to have U.S. content uh, in the development of these technologies and in the, in the scale up and the rollout uh, so that that prohibits so their they, companies from being part. Would, they would think they think it would be better if we put all these technologies back in or in China so that that could be we could be disintermediated again. Uh, I think they they're they 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 I don't think they care as much about China as they they hoped that uh, Europe would be where you know they, that companies will companies will end up not reloc you know end up working out of the U.S. not relocating to Europe because the the advantages are better for them. They have the same they have the same rules and and protections built in there you know and the same issues. <laughs> well, and it's well, and this gets to you know the the point that they are actually going to then even go further, have their own uh, uh, industrial policy to mirror the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act. And what you're seeing in terms of the economy is that we really are all moving towards industrial policies, which means, you know, it's going to have a major impact on, um, uh, you know, it's the opposite of globalization. It's the opposite of open trade uh, is happening. And and uh, you're going to see this you uh, well, go even further. Well, of course, but you know, it, all, this comes back to Russia, Ukraine, China, Taiwan, because you know, if globalization only works in a peaceful world where everybody is following WTO rules and you know, it, it's it's all done uh, evenly, but when you start militarizing um, industrial policy and and you know, you've got the concentration of chips, for example, in uh, in Taiwan and elect and the concentration of communications gear, electronics gear, and everything else in in China, it becomes a risk and China can turn that off and therefore do great damage. So isn't this just really a a realization that, you know, we're not quite as as, uh, on the same page (laughs) across the globe as it's required? Well, yes, and definitely national security is playing a much larger role in in decision-making among all the governments as a result of COVID. Uh, you know, the global pandemic and its impact uh, on supply chains and, and the availability of the components you, you needed to, to con- keep your economies running and to keep your public health uh, <laughs> uh, running in terms of, um, you know, whether you're developing vaccines, having the materials for that, the PPE during the crisis. So, so yes, 
But it's also recognized that if we are going to go forward globally and continue to grow, trade has to stay an important part of that. So here's your here's your uh, conflict on you know how do you deal with these supply chain issues? And so Europe, uh, I think the reason why they they have uh, responded with such um, shock and ire, as opposed to shock and awe, <laughs> shock and ire, is because. If we are breaking into blocks, and that is also one of the major themes that we can't break into a G2, you know, two blocks, they, the, they see the Inflation Reduction Act as cutting them out of the block that they should be in. Yeah, very interesting. What was surpri- what's been surprising to you? You've talked a couple of surprises, but what, what's, what other surprises um, have come out of Davos? So I, I think it's India. I think it's the positive, the optimism, the, the Indian delegation is very, very large. I mean, they have a very large, huge presence here. They're participating in all the meetings. They are clearly, uh, they want to see themselves as a, a chips manufacturing um, hub for the, you know, for the world. You know, it, they're committed to that uh, in terms of advanced manufacturing and the role that they can play in the new, new uh uh, te- technologically advanced economy. The optimism about uh, this really is their their time for growth. They're, they're going to see growth. They've got what, the world's largest population, very well educated population. Just how attractive they are as a um, as a uh, hub for for uh, companies across the sectors. Yeah, you know it's interesting too. You know, in, in the conference board's consumer confidence indices, which we measure around the world, India's the highest in the world. So it's, you know, it, it sounds like there's a little bit of, uh, you know, nationalist pride and, and uh, you know, just, you know, cultural optimism here baked in as well. Yeah, and I, but, and I would caution and um, actually share this with uh, one of the Indian um, uh, CEOs, the delegate to the, uh, um, to, to Davos, to, to the World Economic Forum's <laughs> annual meeting, I actually shared with him uh, the assessment that, uh, having heard the uh, presentations on India, that the only the the only at this point the only thing that will hurt India is India if they don't actually pursue uh, more more open policies in terms of uh, investment, foreign investment coming in, and and uh, um, you know how they have just how they open up their economy and whether they open up their economy. That uh, it really is up to them whether they can ex- take advantage of what's happening. Yeah, they're a nation of shopkeepers, and they're very protective of those mom and pop businesses, and uh, and and don't you know they they view foreign direct investment as as a bit of a threat. But they the other threat is geopolitical. I mean, they've kind of thrown in here a little bit with Russia, and so you know you have the rest of the world kind of scratching their heads. You know, it's 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 easier when you know whether you know someone's friend or foe, and you can identify that. <laughs> and so. You know, India tries to to straddle uh, straddle it all, but uh, you know, so far they've been successful at it, haven't they? Oh yes, they, they were very successful. They were the leaders of the non-aligned during the Cold War, during the entire Cold War, and so uh, this isn't something that uh, it isn't a strategy they have to create out of whole cloth. Whole cloth. They know how to do this, and um, uh, they are though the the oldest democracy uh, in terms of. Um, oldest and largest. And so, you know, there is a natural alignment there, but it is, and they know how to play that straddling role, uh, which also enhances where they are in terms of importance, in terms of diplomacy on uh, 
in this world that we're, that we're in and uh, can will continue to be uh, one of crises and, and chaos, at least in the near term. Wrapping up, any other interesting sessions, interesting tidbits, gossip that you'd like to share with us? So I have to uh, admit my, my favorite part, uh, this happened in, in uh, the first uh, uh, Davos uh, since COVID, and it was a repeat again this year, and uh, it actually shows where my proclivity is, was the, the discussion with Henry Kissinger. At, uh, he's not quite 100 yet, but he is still a brilliant, brilliant mind, whether you agree with him or disagree with him, hearing his strategic assessment of where we are and, and, where, and how we need to proceed forward is just my, my favorite piece of this entire week. And here I thought you were going to talk about the fondue. <laughs> Henry Kissinger fondue. It's all a melting pot. Lori Esposito-Murray, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Steve. Really appreciate it. And thanks to all of you for listening in to CEO Perspectives. Every week, I'll be joined by a prominent thought leader to provide insights on the issues of our time. We'll cover leading topics in geopolitics, economics, public policy, ESG, and more. Please share CEO Perspectives with your colleagues, with your friends, with your family. I know they're gonna to wanna to listen. I'm Steve Odland, and this series has been brought to you by the Conference Board. You've been listening to a podcast from the Conference Board, the indispensable ally that has helped businesses through war, recession, and economic transformation for over 100 years. As recent unexpected economic challenges persist, you can chart a course for the future, which will allow your business to emerge stronger on the other side. Just visit our free economic hub entitled Navigating the Economic Storm, your indispensable guide through the global recession located at www.conference-board.org slash topics slash recession.